we're going to, it's interesting because we've been, believe it or not, you probably do believe it by now, but we're in week 31, week 31 of the book of Mark. And uh, I kind of looked back on my YouTube page and said, uh, how long have we been doing this? This is, this, this only the, the, I do it, I do, I preach in series, not just popcorn kind of sermons, nothing wrong with that. Once in a while I'll do that over the years, like where I just kind of like, God gives me a specific thing for that day. Um, but this is only the second sermon series of the year. It's a record. Usually I do it every five to six weeks and go with the next thing. But I'll be honest, I'm kind of disappointed that we're ending this next week. We're going to be talking about the end of Mark 15 and the beginning of Mark 16 as we conclude this. And uh, you'll have to read the tail end of Mark 16 to read the rest of it um, because there are some, uh, I'll be very blunt, there are some stories in Mark 16 that were not in the original text. It doesn't contradict any of the other accounts. It just, it's, it's just basically the same. Um, so it is good stuff to read. We're just not gonna, we're not gonna study it together. We're gonna end on a, uh, the fact that Jesus raised from the dead. So, are you guys ready to celebrate, like, Resurrection Sunday next week? Okay. Bring all your Easter outfits. That's like a woman now, hey, because the guys, they just wear a t-shirt or something. No, um, I think I wore this, wore this last, anyway. But I, I appreciate that you've, you have stuck with me throughout this journey because it is a long sermon series. A lot of churches, they will do that, I've seen, but some churches, they just, they do some, and there, it's whatever God is saying to the group of people, what he's saying to, for that season, I felt for this year that we needed, as in, we all would agree with this, that we need to focus on Christ and say, Lord, I, I've known you for quite a while now, but I want to get to know you even more. It's like being married. I, I want to get to know Lydia even more, and I've known her for over 20 years, and uh, I, I there's sometimes you discover things about people that are closest to you that you never knew about them, and you went, wow, I'm, I'm learning, even though I've been, you know, you don't know everybody even if you've been with them for 20 years, so there's always something new to learn. You just got to be a student of that person, and that's what I want to do for Christ, and so thank you for your enthusiasm. Thank you for, some of us have come up to me and said, say, Pastor, thank you for preaching the word, and not like chicken soup for the soul, you know, um, and, and I might have a few good anecdotes, you know, some jokes and some funny things and some good, you know, little proverb that I could give you on my own. But for the most part, you'll listen to me and go, kind of, what? You know, okay, that's why we just stick with the word of God. So as we begin, again, we're going to conclude this. God willing, the creek don't rise. We're going to end next week. Um, but I want to put some images on the screen, a little bit different to start this one. That when you see that thing on the screen, I want you to give you permission to talk in church, okay? Talk in front of your pastor, okay? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you see these pictures, these images? Okay, and there's a couple random things I thought about. What do you think about when you see that? What do you say? Fries, okay? How many say grease? How many say death, right? Yeah, it's okay. I thought so. Okay, I'll be honest. Whether you say grease, fries, milkshakes, ice, soft serve, uh, the played land that Hayden used to go to. We, I'd go in the little tunnel with him, and, and uh, it was it smelled like feet. But um, when I think about that, whether you think it, it, it is McDonald's a, just a wonderful gourmet hamburger, no. Okay? But when I see that logo, I can't help but think of a hamburger. I just can't. I can smell it. 
And if I had a Burger King logo on there, I could smell a Whopper right now. Have you ever smelled the outside of a, it smells, to me it smells good. Okay, what about this logo here? What about this picture here? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Just do it. This Nike logo. There. Yep. You, to me, you could say shoes or, or it reminds me of track. It reminds me of cross country. When I was a kid and I was in tra- track and cross country, everybody wanted Nike. Everybody wanted Nike. When I was growing up, they wanted the Nike shoe that you could pump with air for some reason. And they always said, if you pump it too much, you're going to blow up your foot. They always used to say that, but I don't think that's true. I think we tried it. You just break the shoe. But, um, yeah, when you think of that, you think of something right away. Nike, you think of shoe or expensive. Did anybody say expensive? Overpriced? My mom and dad were like, hey, even in the 80s and 90s, $100, no way. No way. And I get it. I'm a parent. But what do you think about that with that? What do you think when that comes out? Here, I know what everybody's thinking. I know what everyone's thinking about the Seahawk logo. Champion. Winner. If I was going to put a Mariner logo, did you guys know that the Mariners are now out of the playoff contention? I need counseling. That's a heartbreak against my brother's team, the Rangers. Okay, my twin brother loves the Rangers. and uh, But I know what you guys think of when you see that one. Winner. Champion. The best. Okay? The 49ers. Right? No. Uh, the, the, the Packers. Right? You can still go to heaven, but you'd just be in a different neighborhood than me. Um, okay. What, what about, what about, uh, what about that logo? Does anybody even know what that logo is? Twitter or X? It's a different logo now. Okay. It's, this isn't, this is, this is retro. Okay. What do I think of when I think of that? I think of, I think of arguing. I could have done that in Facebook too, but this one is very bad. I think of arguing. I think about someone putting their, beliefs on there or a statement and then you have a million different comments about why you're wrong that's what i think about okay what about this what about that what do you think of when i say that cross well duh you know what do you think about huh salvation what else jesus the crusades okay uh it, you know it looks like a, one of the, they used to hold the when there was in, in war they take the cross and they, they it'd be like protecting them you know they'd hide behind the shield Thank you. That was the word. I was thinking about it as I was talking. <laughs> okay. I threw a few words I thought about. I thought about love, life, God, relationship, Christianity. In fact, I was thinking about how popular that image has become over the last 15, 20 years. I would say that Christianity itself, people who want to be fully devoted to Christ, I think, and this is just, this is not my scientific opinion, but over the last 20 years, over the last 10 years, over the last five years, being a fully devoted follower of Christ is, is not getting more popular. It's getting less and less and less. But the image of the cross over the last 20 years has actually become very popular. In fact, I was thinking about famous people who display the cross. And whether they're Christians or not, that's not for me to say. I have an image. You can't see all of them. There's a bunch of small ones. The guy on the left was a very popular singer, Justin Bieber, right? Your grandkids or whatever, you know, 20 years ago. He, in that picture, trust me, he's wearing a cross. The story is that he became a Christian, which is why he's not as popular as he was back in the day. I'm a little older than, I'm a lot older than him, so he's not, this is not my style. Okay. Vin Diesel, not my favorite actor, but that was a very, very, uh, obvious, um, one that he's wearing a cross. Don't know if he's a Christian. That third one, Russell Wilson, 
He was the best at one time. He was better than, he was better than Joe Montana. He was better than, than Tom Brady, for sure. He's better than Aaron Rodgers, for sure. Uh, not anymore. He's about number 32 out of 32 starting quarterbacks. But, he's wearing a cross, okay? The one on the, the one on the left is, his name, his name is Derek Henry. He's a football player on the Tennessee Titans. Um, what I like about him is a lot of sports people wear those little, the little black, for the light to, I don't know what it, I don't know what it does. I have no idea. I'm not a sports guy, but, or I'm not in sports, but it's a cross. There's two crosses. Okay. And that's happened before with Tebow. If you ever remember him, he would put John 316 and they made him take it off, but that's beside the point. I won't get that. This guy on the right, I had to go deep on that. I wanted to see someone that had a tattoo. The guy on the right's a rapper and his name is, and I'm going to mess this up, but it's like ASAP Rocky, ASAP Rocky. I am not a rap guy. Okay, if you, there, in the, in the early 90s, there were a few, late 80s, there were a few Christian rap people that I, I do, you know, DC Talk. I, I, they were good. I mean, they were rap. Okay? But he has a, he's on the top of a car eating something. I have no idea. But on his knee, he's got a, he's got a tattoo of a cross. I don't know his story because I don't listen to his music. Okay? So I don't know. But it's obvious that people love to flaunt the image of the cross for everyone to see. I mean, Vin Diesel, you couldn't get a bigger cross on except if, 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 having a literal cross, carrying it with you. But the fact is, I want to know why. Why is it that the cross has become not a symbol of life for us and death for Jesus? It actually has become a fashion symbol. I thought about this as I was preaching this yesterday and practicing it. When I was first a Christian, there was a very popular bracelet. Lydia might remember this. What was the bracelet? What was on the bracelet? WWJD. Now, this may surprise you. What would Jesus do? That's a good question. Okay. I had a lot of people in my school. I didn't go to Christian school. I went to a big school with 2,000 people. And many, 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 many people wore that bracelet. And <laughs> this is why Christians get a bad rap. Because it's like, what would Jesus do? It'd be like, well, they wouldn't be doing that. That's for sure. They wouldn't be saying that. They wouldn't be partying, at, no, 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 that kind of thing. So I just didn't wear the bracelet because bracelets, I mean, I'm a guy, right? Guys don't supposed to wear bracelets, but they did. What would Jesus do? And so when it comes to what, what would Jesus do? And when it come to like the cross, it has become just not the WWJD bracelet. I think has, I don't think even think anybody younger people knew. Hey, did you know what would Jesus do bracelet? You did? Because of me, right? You never wore one? It's still in? Wow. Okay, I got to get into the culture a little bit more. But it, the cross has become a fashion symbol, only originally it wasn't a symbol at all. When I think about the cross, I think about life for me. I think about hope. I think about the fact that Jesus died for all of us. But it wasn't even a fashion symbol. It was a torture device. So you'd never see the Apostle Peter having a cross around his neck. He wouldn't have a cross on his ear. I tried to stay away from that because some people wear the cross with an earring. That's kind of weird. But it would be like having a, uh, you know, a noose put around my neck as a, as a symbol of whatever. Nobody would do that. But I want to think about for a moment, why is the cross such an important thing? Why is it such an important image? When I think about those three crosses, specifically that one right in the middle, why is it so important? 
this might seem like so obvious, but church, there's a, there's many churches around the world, around the nation, who don't even mention the death of Jesus. Don't even mention the fact that it, 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 um, it's the way to salvation, the way, they don't even talk about sin, they don't talk about death, they don't talk, talk about hell and damnation, they don't talk about it at all, they don't talk about salvation, like what are we saved from? We're saved from eternal damnation, separated from God in outer darkness. What does the cross do when Jesus died for me? It changed everything. And so what we want to do, we want to look at Mark chapter 15, starting verse 33, but my point is this, you can't really understand Jesus, who he really is, if you don't understand the death on the cross. So if you're taking notes, the, the, the title of this sermon is not really that, it doesn't sound very good, but it's understanding who Jesus really is. It's understanding who Jesus, you cannot understand Jesus if you don't understand why the death, why did he have to die? What, what, what does that mean for me personally? And so two weeks ago, we looked at Mark 15, 1 through 20. We talked about the trial. Last week, we looked at verse 21 through 32, the crucifixion, which meant the agony and the shame. This week, we're looking at verse 33 through 41. It's Jesus' actual death. We never mentioned his death last week. The only thing it said was, and they crucified him. And that was what it said about crucifixion. Then the next few verses, we do have a little bit more detail very, very minimal. Mark is a very much a minimalist. He doesn't want to give you details, but it does give us some details. So let's really pay attention to this text because it's this moment when you're reading this moment about Jesus' death. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I want to simplify it. It is at this moment when Jesus died, when he breathed his last, because there's a few things that happen as he's dying parallel to his death. We'll talk about that when you read it, but it changed everything. That the reason why we can go to God with boldness, we don't have to have shaky knees and go, oh, I'm scared. It's not, it's, I say this a lot, but it's like when I was a kid watching the, the Wizard of Oz and the Cowardly Lion, when he goes to the wizard and what does he do? He passes out, right? Shaking. And then you got all of them shaking. You got the tin man making noise and he's, he, they're all like scared. We don't have to do that before God anymore. Why? Because Jesus took care of that. We have direct access to God the Father, so we don't have to go, yeah, yeah, yes, sir, I, I, I. And he's like, get up. <laughs> Jesus, my son, died for you. Come into my presence. Let's hang out. I mean, he might not say exactly like that. That's how I would say it, but he will say, come into my presence, right? So Mark chapter 15, Mark chapter 15 verse 33 says this, at noon, and I'm going to mess up his language here because Mark kept the language in there and then translated for us. But it says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. So how long is it dark? Three hours. How long has he been on the cross before that? He got there at nine. So it's been three hours and then another three hours. So he's been six hours on the cross already. Okay. Then at three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. There's a few things he says on the cross, and he's yelling them. Everybody can hear. And he says this, and I've been practicing this for a long time, and I mess it up. Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani. I think I did it. Okay, wow. Which means, which Mark, he goes, hey, Peter, what does that even mean? 
Maybe he already knew that he could translate it. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Let's pause. We've read this before. How many of us, when we look at Jesus, if we're, if we're learning about Jesus the very first time, that statement's shocking. That's shocking. Like, really, Jesus? Like, how many of us are afraid to even say that out loud? When you say, Lord, I feel abandoned. Lord, I feel like you're not there. Lord, I've been praying in crickets. I can hear crickets. We're so afraid of that because we've been told, I know I have been told, like, just have faith. Just believe. Never, never doubt. Never, never struggle. Christians don't really doubt. Like, have you met the disciples? No. Have you read about them? We've been reading them for weeks. Every single one of them was clueless. My God, he's yelling. He's quoting scripture, by the way, in Psalm 22, but he's, he's feeling it. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. People in those days, they believed that Elijah, they believed that it, it, he was going to come when um, John the Baptist was there, but he said he wasn't Elijah. So they're still waiting for Elijah because Elijah, he never did die. And so they thought that he could go back and forth between heaven and earth. That he was, Elijah was the man, was the guy who could come and rescue people. Okay? So they're going, I think, I think he's crying out for Elijah. They're not paying attention. These people are clueless. If they would just listen a little bit. They would have known what he was saying because he was yelling it. One of them, they ran and filled the sponge with sour wine. Remember they tried to do this and he said no. Okay? Filled his sponge with some sour wine. He held it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But wait, he said, let's see if Elijah comes down to take him, take him down. Let's see if, if he's, if he's actually connected to God, Elijah's going to come and rescue him. That's what they're waiting for. They're testing this because if Elijah doesn't come down and rescue Jesus, we don't believe that he actually is from God. This is a test. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. We're going to read in just a moment what he actually said because Mark is very minimal, isn't he? He, he cried loud and he breathed his last. I like to know what he said. Oh, we just have to look at the other gospels, right? So this is a good example of for all of us to be in the gospels as a whole. It's like a diamond. You got one side, you got a second side, you got a third side, you got a fourth side. You get a complete picture by seeing everyone. When you go into Matthew, Mark, and Luke, very similar. In fact, I saw a picture, a cartoon on Facebook. It was like that, hey, I'd like to have Matthew, Mark, and Luke after class. I think you've been copying each other's homework, right? Because everything's the same. Didn't you see that on Facebook? And I was like, that is exactly what, they're exactly the same, basically. The same story, word for word. I think they've been plagiarizing themselves. But then you have the book of John, which is very, it really zooms in on details. John is so detail-oriented because he was the closest one to Jesus. He would have known a little bit more detail because he's talking to Jesus a little bit more. Then, here's one of the most important things that ever happened, if not the most important thing outside of the resurrection. The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I got to say it's obvious, but this is not an accident. (laughs) This is a physical thing that happened, but it's very symbolic. Okay, God doesn't do anything on accident. 
Symbolism, too, is a huge thing. But this thing's a literal thing that happened in the temple, but it was very, very much more symbolic for what happened to our relationship between us and God. When the Roman officer, I love this. I love this verse. This verse gives me hope. The one that was there at the cross witnessing his crucifixion, when the Roman officer stood facing him, this may be the one that, I have no idea. But he stood facing him. He saw how Jesus had died. He exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. Pause. This is a salvation encounter. This is the very first Gentile, non-Christian, non-Jewish person who recognized who Jesus really was. So who's the first, who was the first Christian? They didn't have the Christian name yet. People were making fun of Christian, like people who became Christians by calling them Christian, little Christ, making fun of them and it stuck, right? But this man truly was a son of God. Then there's another group. There's the Roman officer, Gentile. Then there's a bunch of women. I'm reading this book right now. I've been reading it for a while, but it's about women in the New Testament and women um, in the Bible and women in the Roman world. Fascinating. It's fascinating. The uh, Our district superintendent, the guy in charge of the Assemblies of God in the Washington, Northern Idaho, was reading it, and I said, I've got to buy that. And it's been great. But I want you to notice who is there right at the end. Okay, as you have a bunch of people throughout history, and we'll see in just a moment why that women were excluded from many things. Okay, even access to the temple. If you're a woman, I'm sorry, you can't go in the temple. Send your husband, send your father, not you, but you can go way over there. It's like being at church. You guys can be way, Lydia, you can go stand way over there. In my house, you're going to be in one room and one room only, the, the kitchen. Okay, and I'm going to be there in my living room, right? That would never fly in my house. But when it came to this, I love this. Some women were there too, watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. I like that name, Salome. Anybody like that name? I like that name. If we ever had a daughter, Salome, right? right. Salome. They had, these women, they had been followers of Jesus and they had cared for him while he was in Galilee. He, the word is minister. They used to, they were in charge of ministering to Jesus, taking care of his needs. Okay? Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. It's like Mark right here has an agenda. Isn't it interesting? Like, you have this Gentile Roman officer who says, this guy, he, Jesus is dead. Time to take him down from the cross, but they would usually leave them on there for hours. But then these women, let me be very honest, because later, later on we're going to see, you know, the fact is in the com- when it comes to the temple access, which what was the temple for? It was to access God's presence. What could you do if you're a woman? Tough luck. What would happen if you were a Gentile and not Jewish? You were born in the wrong place. Too bad. Tough luck. You go in the courtyard of the Gentiles, not even in the temple. 
So there's two groups of people at the very end of this. Not a coincidence that Mark talks about a Roman guard and a bunch of ladies who are at the cross. Okay? What does that mean to me? God changes everything. The cross, the death of Jesus, changed more than we even know. It changed everything. So my question again to you today is, what comes to your mind when you see the cross? And I'm going to give you three things that come to my mind when we read this story. The first one is, if you look at the cross, the story of Jesus' death, you see the judgment of God. Now, how many of us would love to be judged by God. Not just talk about it, but I mean literally, you have the sin of the world heaped on you, put on your shoulders, and it's so much that you have to cry out at the at, at the least. You have to say, God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me, God? Why aren't you here protecting me? Why aren't you here, God, saving me? Jesus even said that because he felt the judgment of God. Now, I realize, and I've talked to people over the years who, I grew up with people who are Christian, and some of them, breaks my heart, but some of them that I used to hang out with when I was first a Christian, they're no longer Christian. I, I might, a non-unscientific thing, I might even say that over 50% of the people that I knew, teenagers, no longer Christian. And I, I, a lot of times it's easy to go, why would that, why, why? Number one reason, they can't imagine a God who judges and condemns people. Jesus is condemned. Jesus is judged by God. He is judged where he's so, it's so obvious that he's judged because he feels abandoned by God. He doesn't feel God's presence. He's not close to me and the, he goes, me and the father, we're one. We're like this. He's my father. I'm his son. God, the Father says, "In I am well pleased. Now, God says, nope, not with Jesus. Not at all. Here's the sin of the world, a big boulder. You put that on your shoulder, Jesus, and you, wait, you, you feel the burden of that. You feel the judgment of that. You feel the pressure of that. That's judgment. And I have people that will say all the time, I cannot believe in a God who condemns or judges. And the fact is, here's the problem. I say this quote a lot, but God has created us in our, in his image. We return the favor by creating a God in our image. He just looks like us, talks like us. He, 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 uh, does the same hand motions that I do. If, if Jesus preaches, I'm sure he did this a lot. And I'm sure that Jesus loved the Seahawks. I know he does. He loves the number 12. Okay. But the judgment of God, how could a God judge? How could he condemn if God is love? Joel, doesn't the Bible say God is love? Of course it does. He isn't, he doesn't just have love. He is love. He defines love. The proof is on the cross. Okay? But, but how in the world can he judge and condemn sin if he's love? And the problem is, I want to say right now, because he judged Jesus, because he judges sin, it shows the love of Christ instantly. Why? Because if he ignored my sin and your sin, what would happen to you right now? Let's say right now, let's go back in time, 2,000 years, and let's change history. Let's take Jesus off the cross. Let's take, let's take him out of that. Let's, let's block him from the cross. 
What happens to you and me 2,000 years later? We're condemned. We're judged. We're on a highway to hell. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how much you go to church. I don't care how much you tithe. You might even give 20%, which what's double? A tithe times two it would be a whatever, you know? You give 20% to the church. I don't care. You're still in condemnation. You're still judged by God. Why? Here's the problem. We know that God is love, but we know that God is righteous. He's, he's holy and he's perfect. And if God is holy, perfect, and just, there's no way on earth that he can just ignore it. And if you think about it, we're like this. We're, we're, okay, think about it. Somebody, and I don't want to be, I don't want to go into any details, but you can fill in the blanks. Somebody comes into someone in your life, a spouse, a friend, a boyfriend, girlfriend, a kid, a child, grandkid, a boss, a st- whatever, and they somehow harm them very bad. Verbally, fill in the blank. Are you in your right mind going to go, eh, I can't, I'm not going to condemn that, whatever. You know, they got their needs. They just, they got their needs. No big deal. Let them do whatever they want, and I'm just going to accept it and love them. That's it. Nobody would do that. If someone harmed my family, or if someone harmed you guys, trust me, I'm not going to sit there back there and go, whatever. I'm just going to pick my nose and I'm just going to sit here and let that happen. No, no, no. I'm going to, and this might seem weird, I'm going to, I'm going to demand swift justice. I'm going to demand something happen to that person, like they're going to be in a prison cell for the rest of their life, at least thinking about their lives for the next, what they did for the next 20, 30, 40 years. That's, why is that? Because there's something in us when there's wrong, when there's something wrong that, that has this righteous anger. You can't just ignore wrong. Right? If someone is harming your family members, those closest to you especially, and you turn a blind eye to it, what kind of person does that make me? It would make me evil. Like, I just, like, just accept everything. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter who you sleep with, no matter what you do, oh, it's okay. Eh. You got your needs. Right? Oh, no, it's okay. No, no, no. We do that and we're human, but we look to God and say, don't, don't judge sin. We were, God, you love us. I'm your child. The Bible says I'm your child. But I can just do this all I want. I'm just free to do whatever. Listen, God judges. But you know what the good news is? He took his judgment, his condemnation that we that I deserve, and he puts it on one, one person. Not some representative of God. Not some prophet, not some good teacher, not some wonderful miracle worker. No, no, no. God, his son, he put that judgment, he put that, why, why, why is that so important that it has to be Jesus? Why is it important it has to be God? This is why. Because if Jesus was a sinner and he's dying on the cross, who would he be judged for? He would be judged on the cross by God for his own sin. But because he was sinless, why it was important he's sinless? Because he's sinless, because he's perfect, because he's holy, because he's righteous, he goes on the cross not condemned in his own sin, but he's condemned for someone else's sin. Whose sin? My sin. Your sin. No offense. But you got sin and I got sin. Some Something needs to happen to that sin. Nobody can look at that sin, that wrong, and say, eh, big deal. Eh, 
whatever. That's no big deal. No, 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 that sin's good. Good sin. No, God, he can't do that if he's holy, righteous, and just. A judge cannot just turn a blind eye. And in history, you could probably think of a few times where the judge kind of winked. The judge kind of, here, give me some money, right? Or that guy's guilty, but and you're famous, so I'm just going to let you go. You can think of a few people in history over the last 20 years, right? <laughs> or 30 years, however long it's been. O.J. Simpson. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> yesterday, today, tomorrow. But you would look at a judge like that and you would say, that judge needs to be kicked out of that the court. He cannot, he or she should not be in that place because that is not right. A judge, or if you want to use the, the sports term, a referee, an umpire, which by the way, those umpires in the major league, you got the ball going way over here and they're going, straight! Right? I'm like, like all of a sudden everything's a strike now? Like that is like, that is the image that I want you guys to think about with when a, when a judge does not he, he doesn't want to judge. He just wants, oh, whatever. That's like an umpire calling ball, balls and strikes way off. And those people should be disbarred, kicked out of the major league, whatever you want to call it. But Jesus, since God is perfect, holy, and just, he can't just ignore your sin. But because he judged sin, to me, that proves the love of God. Why? Because if he ignored your sin... If he ignored all sin, you would be still condemned. You'd be damned to hell, no matter what you did. But because he took your sin and my sin and your sin and your sin, he took all that and heaped it upon Jesus, that he was he died once for all, not once a year like in the Old Testament, once for all, that all of us, you don't have to walk in condemnation. See, and what you see in the story, you see darkness. The very first thing that happens in three, three hours after he is on the cross, it's dark for three hours in the middle of the day. When there's supposed to be sun, it's dark. Did you know in the Bible, when there's many, many instances throughout the Bible where it's, it's dark in the middle of the day? And almost every single time, it means the judgment of God is coming. It happened in Exodus 10. I won't read it, but God brought a plague of darkness to the land of Egypt right before he brought judgment down the land with the firstborn sons. Then the prophets in the Old Testament, they often talked about a day of judgment coming, and one of the signs of the judgment of God was darkness in the land. In fact, I'm going to throw a verse on the screen. This prophet doesn't get much airtime, and I sometimes want to give a, give a, give a prophet, uh, some airtime for just a minute, for just a second. It says in Amos chapter 8, verses 9, our old buddy Amos is making a return from the first time in like 10 years or whatever, five years. But it says this. I want you to think about this. In that day, looking ahead, says the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon. What time? Noon. Huh. What time did you, what time did you get dark when Jesus was on the cross? Noon. And I will darken the earth while it's still day. Well, that would be noon, because it's still day. But he wants, God wants to make sure we get it. It's still daytime. You're going to see the judgment of God, and it's coming through darkness. See, darkness, even hell is described as outer darkness. I'm a literalist when it comes to hell. I am. I mean, that might not be 
that might be controversial. Well, you really believe in hell and damnation, and you really believe that uh, the you know where the worm doesn't you know the gnashing of teeth. That's what Jesus said. And over the last fifteen years, hell has been a hot topic in the church, even. But I think the worst part of hell, more than the fire and the where the worm don't die and 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 gnashing of teeth, is that utter darkness. It's the fact that you're going to be without the presence and the light of God. God is light. He is He is light. Where there's life, there's light. Where there's death, there's darkness. So where there's judgment, what it means when it is, it, you're going to be in outer darkness is you're going to be feeling and experiencing the judgment of God for all eternity. That's what that means. In fact, even Mark, we already read it, but Mark 15, 33, it says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Pretty specific. Why did that happen? Why did it get dark? Not coincidence, not an accident. It actually is because the judgment of God had come upon the earth and was cast upon Jesus, our Messiah, our King, our Savior. And I want you to notice something about the story. Where is the judgment not coming upon the people who killed him? If you read another gospel, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How many of us are familiar with that passage of Scripture? That is the most, in a good way, most ridiculous thing that Jesus has ever said. The very one that has got the hammer and those nine-inch nails, the very one, Jesus is pointing to him and going, Father, forgive him. And the guy, I can imagine this, he drops the hammer, falls on his knees and says, truly, this was the Son of God. It doesn't say that it's him, that it's the one that I like to think so, but it's just amazing that that's, that's what happened for three hours. Judgment is on Jesus and Jesus alone. Then Jesus quotes from Psalm 22 when he feels abandoned by God. In verse 34, you read it, but this is important. The three o'clock, he cries out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lemes, Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? See, the crowd saw that he was dead, that Elijah hadn't saved him. So they said, I'm, I don't believe. I'm done. No one rescued him. He's dead. And they knew that Jesus was condemned by God. He was condemned. Why? Because they knew the scripture that said, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Anybody heard that phrase before? Old Testament. Cursed is he, and we think of it as a cross, and it was a, it's a fancy tree. It was a tree. Cut the tree down, put it up there. They didn't just, they didn't cut it a little square and nice to give me, give me some two by fours or four by fours, whichever one makes a good decoration. No, give me that tree. And cursed is he who hangs on a tree. So they knew that Jesus, when they looked at him dead, nobody rescued him. What does that mean? He's cursed by God. He's condemned. He's judged. So, he took your sin and my sin, which means you're free and clear, paid in full. Like buy your house, you get your first payment, and it says paid in full, and you're like, what? What? Paid in full? How happy would be if someone paid our house off? Or your car? Or whatever, you know? Here. But we look at Jesus when he dies, and paid in full, we're like, cool. Awesome. Not, 
wow, Lord, I, you deserve a lot more worship than I'm giving. I'm holding back, Lord. God, for, God forbid that I hold back any more worship because of what Jesus did on the cross. We have access granted to God. The mercy of God is the second thing. Not only the judgment of God happened, but the mercy of God at the same time. The judgment of God is horrible news, but the good news is right here. Jesus, in Mark 15, verse 37, he cries out another loud cry, and then he breathed his last. What did he say? Well, Jesus, I mean, John, of course, who, according to John, John was there. We don't get that detail in Mark, by the way. John, he goes, I was there, guys. Remember, you guys, you guys stayed, remained in a locked room. I was there. I decided to leave that locked room and go to the cross. And John says, when Jesus had tasted it, that sour wine, he said, it is what? Finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Listen, what does he mean by is finished? His life? No. He says, it is finished. He could have said, the work on the cross that I came to accomplish, it's done. He could have said, it's finished. It's paid in full. Transaction complete. The sin is taken care of. He could have said, I accomplished it all. And then Jesus voluntarily gave up his life. No one took it. Jesus gave up, gave up his spirit. One of the most important verses of all the scripture, right here in verse in Mark chapter 15, verse 38, and the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Do you realize how important that is? Because it's very symbolic, too, of your, you have direct access to God because you and I could never, ever, ever step foot in the temple. Never. You're in the outer courts of the Gentiles. How many of us are Jewish? I'm not. So if you're Gentile, you get to go in the courtyard of the Gentiles. The temple's right over here. If you're a woman, you don't even get access to here. You're over here. The husband's like, I'm going to the temple. I'll come back after church. Hold on. Women got out of going to church. They were over here, learning over here. Don't even go into the temple. Don't even, what does that even mean? Don't, women, don't go into the presence of God. Gentiles, you're not Jewish. You were born in the wrong, you know, country. You were born in the wrong land. You're not God's pro- promised person. You're not in promised land. You, you get to go outside of God's presence. What happens? The curtain in the sanctuary. I'm not talking about just the temple. I'm talking about the curtain to the Holy of Holies, which nobody could go in except for the high priest once a year. And he was like sitting there going, am I going to die, Lord? Am I okay to come in here? Right? But it was torn in two from top to bottom. What does that mean? Gentiles have access. Jewish people have access. Women, congratulations. You have, you're serving Jesus, the God who is so pro-woman that it's ridiculous. Okay? Had to throw that out there. Okay? But you can fill in the blanks. Okay? You can borrow that book that I've been reading. It's a good one. Um, but the mercy of God. It means that all things have become brand new. It means come into God's throne room. Direct access. It's been taken care of. Go. Clean. Saved. Righteous. 
which is something I said in the 80s, righteous, but this is better righteous. Righteous, you're righteous. No way, pastor, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't, but I know what Jesus did. And if Jesus were to speak to you, he'd look at you and say, do they, does no one condemn you? Then I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more, which is the first that a lot of people don't read afterwards, right? I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. That's because the temple was torn, the curtain was torn between God's presence and the average person that we can run to God. Then the last, but certainly not least, we see the power of God. The thing that I, and I already mentioned it, but the thing I noticed in this story that radically changed my life, there was two groups of people that were mentioned at the very end. The Gentile Roman officer. I've already noticed that, but I just noticed at the very tail end of the story, there's a group of women and there's that Roman officer. I can't stress it enough what, why he put that there. The reason he put that there is there are two groups of people who should not have access to God, period, according to the old ways. I believe it's for our benefit to read that and go, Jesus, you changed everything. The average person has access to God. Someone that is sinful can go into God's presence. Someone that is, has been drunk and they're at a bar and they're, 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 they're threatening to kill themselves, someone who is so far from God, who has nowhere else to go, could they have access to God? Of course they can. You don't have to clean up yourself to take a, you don't have to shower before you take a shower, right? Right? You know, honey? <laughs> go up to Lydia. Okay, I'm taking a shower. You just took one. Yeah, but I'm not clean enough. I need to take another one. And then I'm really clean. No, 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 no. You don't bathe before you bathe. You go into the shower Filthy. If you're going mudding or on your four-wheeler that you guys, that some of you guys have, and you get full of mud, some of you guys who are married, you say, hey, your wife makes you clean up on the outside of the house. So that's beside the point. But if you go in the shower, you're full of mud, and it's everywhere, right? That's what the power of God does. It changes lives. The women were changed. Gentiles were changed. And uh, the power of God leads to a changed Life. And I'm going to close with the one more verse and then we'll be done. But we read it and it was the one verse, it, all of it's powerful, the one verse that I, I sat there and read that. Because I've read that before. I believe there's a movie about that guy, the robe. I need to see it. I've never seen it before, but I know it exists. It's about that guy. Probably that guy. But when the Roman officer stood facing Jesus, saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. I have read that before, but I thought, you know what? Maybe you can, re- maybe I'm reading the text a little bit too much, but correct me if I'm wrong. He's seen the truth about who Jesus is. That's salvation. He's not running up to the altar, but it doesn't say anything about running up to the altar. It doesn't. It says you could be, you could be at a bar right now. And you can have a realization about who God really is. It can happen right now. You're, you're in the middle of a drug induced whatever, and you got needles everywhere, you got drugs, you got powder everywhere, you've been sniffing this and everything. You can still have a moment of going, truly, Jesus is 
the Son of God. So as we close in prayer, maybe I want you to have a realization yet again of who Jesus really is. Because I'd like to know, I want to talk to that guy in heaven. I really do. Obviously, Jesus comes first. But I want to see that guy and say, hey, what happened the rest of your life? I really would like to know. This man truly was the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, you died, but you you sent Jesus to die, and he died, but that was not the end of the story. And I know that we know that story, but help us to realize that, God, you are so powerful. The power of God that raises Jesus from the dead is living in us today. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe life. Breathe life. It's the very breath that we take is your spirit that can lead us to victory and peace and joy and hope. It's through your spirit. God, I thank you for my friends here. I pray for blessing as they go. I pray that they would draw closer to you as you have drawn closer to them. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Small group Wednesdays, 7 o'clock, men's, women's. Women have to go in a separate room. We kind of change things. <laughs> I had to throw that there.